fathers, pastors, who were sent to prison and executed. And they sat there, grown men, pastors themselves, joyfully recounting what it was for their father to die for Christ. I met men who had been in prison, beaten, who had had security officers assigned to them during their whole adult ministry lives. I did not know, but in Romania, above all countries, even Russia, the Secret Service was the most destructive, the most violent, the most oppressive of the church. And yet I heard of an underground church, a church that would not stop preaching the gospel, teaching, praying, and meeting. I heard of a church that smuggled in F.H. Carl Henry and John Stott during the 1980s to teach and disciple the brothers and sisters. And how this worked was fascinating. John Stott was told, you will be at this hotel, and you will leave your hotel at noon, and you will go to a park and on a bench, and you will wait. And the church, which must have had really cool black cars, tinted windows, would kidnap John Stott and take him to a secret location for the Romanian government was watching John Stott. They knew who he was. I learned so much about men. One of the men I'd like to introduce you to, and you, you, many of you know his name. You may know the ministry. You may know him from learning about him throughout uh, our lives in the church, but uh, a Romanian by the name of Richard, Richard Wormbrand, a Lutheran minister who in 1948 was arrested for denouncing communism while rejecting state control of the churches. He spent a total of 12 years in prison, three of them in solitary confinement, and those words do not encapture what he went through. He was 12 feet underground, no light, no windows, no doors. And so that he would not hear a sound of another human being, the soldiers wore felt boots, felt heels on their boots. And he said that he got through that time, three years in that world, by sleeping days. And at night, he would compose a sermon every night. For three days and his memory was so good he was so blessed he remembered 350 of these sermons and wrote them down he recalled one episode of torture where he was beaten on the soles of his feet until bone was exposed finally in 1964 he left Romania and began an active ministry calling attention to the persecuted church throughout the world through his organization named the voice of the martyrs and this man and many like him went through the fire and came out fully faithful, fully obedient, fully glorious in suffering. Some quotes that I really enjoyed from him. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. And another quote, I found that joy can be acquired like a habit in the same way as a folded sheet of paper falls naturally into the same fold. And finally, a faith that can be destroyed by suffering is not faith.
So as you hopefully are prepared this morning, um, please open your Bibles to the Word of God, the letter of Colossians, first chapter, verse 24 through 29, page 983 in your pew Bibles. And on the backdrop of this minister and the suffering that he dealt with, let us go to the Word of God and another minister who suffered greatly for Christ. In Colossians 1, 24 through 29, we read, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the, his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word trembling, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes wide so that we might understand the call to suffer. But more importantly, Lord, that we might accept and look forward to and be enticed by and live out the joy that comes from being with you and you in us, no matter what the circumstances, Lord, but especially if you call us to the glorious suffering that is of the type of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, and I pray that my words would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to briefly talk about a serious subject that is suffering, and yet suffering cannot be discussed without joy. And this is something that the world finds difficult to understand, but we as Christians must accept and long for that suffering and joy are not incompatible. The definition of suffering is something I like to always start out with. What is suffering? The state of undergoing pain, distress, and or hardship pain, distress, and or hardship. So I would imagine if you are a human being, suffering is not something that is foreign to you. All of us at one point or another have gone through seasons, episodes, moments of pain, distress, and or hardship. And there's an important point to this, and that is that suffering is the signpost of sin. Suffering exists in our world because sin exists in our world. We were not created by God to suffer. We were created by God to enjoy Him forever, to fellowship with Him, to bask in His glory. But when sin entered the world, suffering entered the world. And suffering is a signpost of death itself. For Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. And let us be clear that the end of our life of suffering is always death if we are not in Christ. This reminds me of a poignant story, and that is 
John 11, where Jesus comes and heals. I'm sorry, resurrects Lazarus. And I was always curious as to why the shortest verse in the Bible, my son's always happy when they know trivia, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, sons, yes. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? He knew what he was going to do. It's obvious from John that he waited. He used code language. Lazarus is asleep. Disciples needed direct language. He's dead. Mary and Martha did not understand that, yes, if Jesus had been there, maybe he would have saved the life of Lazarus. And Jesus said, no, 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 I am the life, the life of Lazarus. I am the life of all. I am the resurrection. But why did Jesus weep? And I think the key is that as he approaches the tomb of this beloved brother, Lazarus, everyone else is weeping. They are suffering. And I think the human part of Christ was caught up in this one fact. Suffering is terrible, terrible state of sin and death. Suffering is something to weep over. Even for the Savior who was about to show the glory of God, he, his heart suffered for the suffering of the world. In that moment, Jesus wept. And we should weep likewise. Human existence is marked by suffering. It's even, some argue, defined by suffering. I hate to mention a Hollywood movie, but it's so good. The Matrix. <laughs> it's an old movie. Some of you have seen it. Some of you haven't. And if you haven't, I won't spoil it for you. But, but, but humans and machines are in a battle. And, and machines have found a way to keep humans prisoners through virtual reality. We know what that is now. They call it the Matrix in the movie. And as they design this virtual world, there's this wonderful discussion between the protagonist and a, and a machine. And the machine says, did you know that the first matrix was designed to be a perfect human world? Where none suffered, where everyone would be happy. It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops of humans were lost, meaning they, they did not take to this virtual reality. The machine goes on to say, some believed we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world, but I believe that as a species, human beings define the reality through suffering and misery. So even Hollywood knows this truth, that to suffer is something uniquely human, because to suffer as a signpost of sin, sin is something that we humans bear uniquely. Now let's return to God's word as I want to Walk us through how suffering, though, God has turned into something glorious and good for our maturity and growth. So as we look at verse 24, Paul begins to this church in Colossae who he had never met. This is a church that was set up by the preaching gospel of one of their own, Epaphras. And yet he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And here we are called to ask the question, well, Paul, you're, you know Paul's always rejoicing, though. That's the problem with Paul. He never gets real with us. You know, No, Paul gets very real. Paul went through some tough times. He admitted such. He even states, I don't know if it's better to be here and keep suffering or be with Christ. Actually, I do know. It's better to be with Christ. But because of the love of Christ in me, for you, I will remain. 
What a wonderful testimony of this minister. We are called to experience joy and suffering, just like Paul lays out in this first, first part of verse 24. And two aspects I want to say, first of all, is we are called to experience suffering independent, I mean joy, independent of our suffering. Philippians 2, 17-18 says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Even if I am poured out, put that aside, I rejoice. So we are called to joy independent of our sufferings in the Christian life. So it really makes us to be challenged. If there is no suffering, how is your joy? It should be pretty good. Or do you bring suffering into your home like I do? And I, let me find something to suffer about. You know, it's not a choice that we should make as Christians. It's, we should really look and say, right now, things are going great. Praise the Lord. Let me respond to joy, a special kind of joy that relates to this. But secondly, we should also be joyous, and that joy can be dependent on our suffering. MacArthur points to to important reasons how suffering also causes joy. Um, I've been looking at some things. This is some interesting uh, points that many authors have different opinions on, but uh, I found some important readings by John MacArthur about this, and I, I really want to list these here. How can we be joyful while we are suffering? What is, how does suffering bring joy out? First of all, suffering brings believers closer to Christ. Again, in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So suffering brings joy because suffering brings us closer to Christ. And the closer we get to Christ, the more we see that beautiful, glorious face, the perfect reflection of God himself. And it is irresistible grace. It is an irresistible glory. You cannot be anything but joyous in the presence of God. Suffering also not only brings us closer to Christ, it brings us closer to each other. I'm a sociologist by training, and we teach that actually grief and suffering are how communities can get closer to each other. We teach that as a secular idea. Well, it's a very biblical idea. Um, you know, I experienced this very, very... Um, Sincerely, in Munich, uh, Micah was, uh, you know, and there, there's a long story. My, my son is a tough little boy. He had a high fever. We made him walk around uh, uh, Salzburg because he wasn't going to ruin our vacation. Um, probably shouldn't have done that uh, in retrospect. Ruptured appendix. Um, but after he's in the hospital, the brothers in Romania were praying, and they knew a pastor in Munich. And they contacted him, and he contacted me and said, I'd like to come visit you. I'd like to pray for you. And I ended up going to that church for four Sundays. And it was a glorious church, preaching the gospel truth uh, to all those from the world who do not have a church in their own language, but they know English, so they come to this international church. And I remember the third Sunday after Micah should have gone home, but he had a second surgery because the guy just wanted to hold on to that infection. And I come there on Sunday morning by myself. Diane and, and, and my other sons had left that morning to return home. 
And after the service, some ladies came up to me and they were forlorn. They were sad. And they looked at me and they said, why are you here? And that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Because they go on to say, you shouldn't be here. You should be at home with your family. Tell us. Don't tell us Micah is still sick. And I said, yes, he is. He's actually in ICU. And they remembered. And they prayed. And they were praying continually. And I felt closer to Christ in that moment as I felt closer to his people. And I'll never remember those ladies saying such a rude thing. Why are you here? They did not want me to be here. They wanted Micah and I to be home. And that was their prayer. Suffering also has other important reasons for joy. Number two, it, it, it assures us of our belonging to Christ. If you suffer as a Christian, praise be to the Lord, it is a sign of your belief, of your faith. John 15, 8 states, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Suffering also joyously reminds us that there is a future reward to be had through suffering. Romans 8, 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order, there's good news, that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wonderful perspective on suffering that I hope and pray that we are able to emulate, to copy, to imitate. And as Paul continues in verse 24, he says, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. When I told Pastor Sam I'd like to preach on this, he goes, Well, you did pick a difficult verse, didn't you? This is verse, the second part of verse 24 has been debated. For many, many centuries as to what is, what is Paul saying that he fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm here in the hospital. I got time on my hands. I'm going to do some study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read, you know, between uh, Mike and I having fun time uh, in the hospital. What could be possibly lacking? Well, I'm going to give you three ideas to take home with. This is uh, something that has helped me to understand this text and also a backdrop of suffering itself. So number one idea, how, what is lacking? This, this phrase, lacking in Christ's afflictions. Some commentators argue that this suffering that Paul was experiencing, remember, this is a time when Paul is in prison. So he has experienced, he's at the tail end of a life of suffering for Christ. And of course, that is why we read Acts 9. At the beginning of Paul's ministry, he is labeled a sufferer. But also, he's the one who made the church suffer. So there's a special significance for suffering. And Paul often talks about, I should be suffering. I made the church suffer. This is good, right? That I now experience as retribution, I get to experience the glorious suffering of Christ. Now, Paul may be the chiefest of sinners, but I would probably enter a competition with him and put myself as an entry. That means that I also should consider gloriously how I might suffer with Christ, in Christ, to be glorified with him. So one way to think about this is if we change the word what is lacking in Christ's afflictions to what is lacking in the Messiah's afflictions. 
So some commentators argue that because of the rest of this letter, that there is a messianic component to this suffering, and that Paul is speaking to, even though the Colossians were, not, were mostly Gentiles, he was being reminded of the prophecy that the Messiah must suffer, and in between the Messiah and the end of the age, those who love the Messiah must suffer. And specifically, we think about Daniel 12.1, and even Mark 13, 9 through 220, where Jesus talks about the end of the age and the suffering that is to come. So some argue that suffering is part of the complete sum total of suffering necessary to endure before the end of the age. There is a set amount of suffering, and we all are part, we play a part in, in, in completing that suffering, and when it's complete, Christ will return. And interestingly enough, there, there's some indication here that because of the text and because of the Greek, that the more Paul endures, possibly, the less the Colossians might have to. So Paul is saying, I'm filling up I'm, what is lacking for you by saying, the more I suffer, maybe the less you get to suffer. So Paul is pouring himself out so that others might suffer less. So that's, that's one, one idea that comes to our minds about suffering. A second idea, which is more traditional, more, more recent, is that the suffering that Paul is experiencing was actually intended for Christ. But Christ is no longer here. But who is here? His people, his body. And we know that from the Acts reading that Jesus, although he is at the right hand of the Father in glory, what does he say to Paul? Why are you persecuting me? So to persecute the church, Jesus takes that as a persecution against himself. Those who hate Christ, who cannot persecute Christ, turn to the next best thing, his ambassadors, his imitators, his children, his heirs, his family, his brothers and sisters, and they persecute them. And there's a special place of this persecution for the ministers of the word of the church of God. So being called to the ministry places you in a special category of get ready to suffer. This is this interpretation of this. So again, MacArthur points to John 15, 18, which I read, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And finally, a third way that suffering is displayed, um, I mean, suffering is, is filling up what is lacking in the church of Christ or Christ's afflictions is that suffering displays this, uh, the suffering of Christ himself. So one theologian says, they incurred in making known the redeeming work of Christ. When we suffer, we show the world that Christ suffered. And therefore, we can then give the world the gospel, the antidote, the reason for this suffering. Why did Christ suffer on the cross? So that people would have salvation, so that sins would be redeemed. Um, John Piper says, Paul sees his own sufferings as the visible reenactment of the sufferings of Christ so that they will see Christ's love for them. So we suffer, and yet we love in the same breath, and they see Christ in us. And Piper uses some other verses, like Philippians 2, 29 and 30, and 1 Corinthians 16, 17, where this, Paul says a couple of times, he says, you church who love me, you couldn't all come to minister to me, 
but you sent a person or, or a brothers, and they filled up what was lacking in you. Meaning, we would all like to go help, but since we can't, it's physically, logistically impossible, we send a messenger, we send somebody who loves on you, right? And that fills up what is lacking. The lacking is we'd all like to be there. We lack that ability to, so we send someone. And that is what Piper thinks this verse is referring to. We can no longer see the suffering of Christ. There's no longer visual. No movie could ever come close to having been at the foot of the cross. And unlike Thomas, who says, I will not believe unless I see the joy of Christ, I see his theology, how good it is. I know. I will only believe in Christ if I see his suffering, the remnants of his suffering. And Jesus appears and says, Here are, here's my sufferings. You can touch them. But blessed are those who do not see this suffering, but actually get to see a different kind of suffering, the suffering of my people. And their response to that suffering is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So those are some ideas I hope will edify you in thinking about suffering as a category with which joy should spring up with, with which how we make manifest the work of Christ through suffering. And I'd like to connect that with the rest of the verses because then I think Paul goes on and says, let me now connect the suffering that I am experiencing, the suffering that I know all disciples of Christ will experience. Let me now connect that to your maturity. So he goes on to say in verse 25, uh, of these afflictions of Christ and of his word, let me make sure there, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So here is his first step. What is his job? To make the God, word of God fully known. That is, suffering becomes an important step to making the word of God fully known. And it is the calling of all ministers of the word, but it is also the calling of every single believer. When you suffer, are you tuned in? Are you, is, the, is the, the switch flipped to say, ah, I'm here to make the word of God fully known. Am I ready to do that? And what am I going to make fully known? He says in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but not revealed to his saints. This is key. I suffer to make the God, word of God fully known because I know the word of God. The word of God has only been revealed to his saints. So you are in a special club of sufferers. You have a special response to suffering. You need to remember that. You need to be in your word prepared because only you can bring the word of God. Only you can share the word of God. It has been revealed to his saints. Everyone else opposes it. They reject it. They imprison those who love it. They torture those who care deeply about it. They silence those and attempt to who want to share it. So the mystery hitting for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints is in you. You are the person. You are called to make the word of God known in person. And it is because you are the person who has the word of God. In verse 27, we continue. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. And this mystery, Ephesians 3, 6, ties us this mystery. It says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So not only you suffer, the word has been revealed to you, you must share it in person, but you are not sharing you, are you? Who are you sharing? You are sharing the gospel of Christ. You are sharing Christ himself because the word of God is now in you. Do you see? Paul is walking us through, preparing how called to, to the word. The word is in me. Christ is in me. I must share Christ. I am now a person with Christ in me. So again, these are signposts away from sin to glory. These should be neon signs to us that say when suffering comes, there is a path to walk. I think Richard Wormbrand walked that path. He would communicate through Morse code and actually share verses through Morse code through the walls with the prisoners around him. He was ready to share Christ who was in him to all those possible. And Paul, like a good pastor, gives us the application. This should be a familiar application to us because it is our church verse. Colossians 1, 28. So what do we do when we're ready? We're ready. We understand, Lord, we will suffer. We understand we are your special people. We understand that you've revealed your word to us. That word comes in the form of a man, a God-man, a man who was crucified, a man who was resurrected for three days, a man who died for our sins. And now it is well, Lord. Let us share this wellness with others. What do we do? We, first of all, proclaim him. Rock bottom, solid, number one thing we do is we proclaim him with words. Now, I found out recently that my last name comes from the village in Spain where Francis of Assisi was born. And I bring that up because there's a famous quotation which is ascribed to him, but it probably was not said by him. But he says, um, uh, in all things preach the gospel and, and when necessary use words. And you say to yourself, no, preach the gospel of the words first, always, and make sure that your life, especially in suffering, matches the love and the grace and mercy that you're preaching, right? So when necessary, use words, no, no. It is always necessary to use words. We have a duty to proclaim him to a couple of people. Just Americans, just Texans, because Texans are great. The barbecue, I haven't had it, but it's coming. <laughs> just to Romanians? No, to everyone. To everyone, to the ends of the earth. We pray for missionaries because they are part of God's plan to continue the work of this verse. Proclaim him to everyone. Proclaim Christ. Christ crucified. Christ resurrected. Sins forgiven. Faith and repentance. And in doing so, we not proclaim him, but we warn everyone there is a consequence to rejecting Christ. Christ came, lived a perfect life, a life you and I could, met the demands of God in the law of righteousness, was our sacrificial offering on the cross, took upon himself the sin, the suffering, the judgment, and the wrath that God the Father must pour out upon those who sin. For he is a holy God. He is a righteous God. 
Christ took them completely, fully, all of them. And now, after his glorious resurrection and proven who he was and who he is, we warn everyone that if you reject the free offer of the gospel, you will be judged by a righteous God, and that judgment will be one of wrath, righteous wrath. We also continue to teach everyone, teach everyone, open the scriptures, go through, as we did this morning. I was such a, it's such a blessing to be in Sunday school this morning and see as we go through line by line teaching the scriptures, as, we, as, as is happening in here and many other churches throughout the world. We teach everyone with all wisdom. We do not teach just out of our thoughts and minds, but we teach according to God's wisdom. I love Paul Washer. One of his favorite sayings is, "Don't tell me what you think. Tell me what the Bible says." You know, and I have to remind myself because oftentimes I want to teach in my own wisdom, and yet no, he doesn't care about my wisdom. He cares about what the Bible says. And when this happens, when we respond in suffering through the Word, being those who carry Christ in us, when we respond we then, something magical happens, something wonderful happens, that now this is the process by which everyone is made mature in Christ. Verse 28 continues, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This, this idea of maturity is this idea of metamorphosis, that there is a target and a goal for your growth, and it is through this process that you will make it, that you will be carried through, that your faith through God's grace and mercy, His power will carry you through to that picture of Christ-likeness that has been set before you. If you do not want that, if you do not endure to that, if you do not desire that, then you need to check your heart. You need to check your faith. Because this is the goal that ministers, and, and, and Pastor Burel Sam, sorry, Bureau, Romanian, sorry. Pastor Samuel is very, very, very careful and caring about your maturity and my maturity. He prays for us. I am a deacon, the deacon body. We pray for all of you by name, and we say, Lord, let us work together so we may present all of us mature in Christ. And Paul, I think, comes back. And says, for this I toil, in verse 29, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. A picture of suffering now is a picture of the work of God in Paul. Paul begins by saying, I, give, I give joyfully give thanks for suffering for you, but it is not me and my power. It is God's power. You cannot will yourself to joyfully accept suffering. If you try, you will fail. But you turn to Christ. You ask God for his power, and it is there. His spirit, it is there. And he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. I know I'm, I'm running a little long, but I have to say, tell you the story because it was, it was an important time. Uh, there was a time Diane was, was, was going through a, a rough spot. She was very alone. 
The sisters in Romania don't really fellowship. They don't understand accountability, discipleship. You know, they, they need that. They want that, but they've just never seen it because of communist repression. They're all very scared to open up. They should be. They should have been then. Turns out one of the most faithful pastors was a spy for the government. So one of the struggles, one of the prayers for the Romanian church is help them to open up and trust because by nature they're very secretive because they had to be. So this was hard for us. Look at all of us here embraced and loved and prayed for and we touch each other and we hug each other and, and we make sure that we're growing in Christ but there it's a lot more difficult. And Diane was really feeling the effects of this. And there was one day she was extremely emotional. And we went to chapel on Wednesday at the university uh, that the church runs. And there was a pastor there. He gave one of the best sermons I've heard on, on worship. And he was a, a music minister. He also wrote songs. And apparently he wrote a song in the 80s that was called Lean on Me. Not, not the other Lean on Me. But <laughs> Has anybody here heard of this song, Lean on Me? Okay, okay, that's okay. Yeah, okay, good. some of us here. It's a real song. And the important part of it is when you have, one of the verses says, when you have nothing left but Christ, that's exactly what you need. She had been thinking about this song the day before. So we're at the chapel. This man comes. He preaches a glorious sermon on worship. He comes. He says, you know, I hadn't planned on this, but may I sing a song for the gathering here? He goes to the piano, and he sings this song because he wrote this song. And my wife bursts out crying. And aside from my embarrassment, like, what is going? Did I do something? What is, you know, honey? She goes up to him, and I follow because I have no idea. And she tells him, thank you. For this is a song that had come to my heart, and it was holding me up. And I think God sent the man who wrote the song to play the piano for us five feet away for my wife. That is what the world needs to see. My wife was suffering, and God was there. And the power of Jesus was in her, and the power of Christ was in this man, and the Lord brought them together. John Piper once said, I was attending a pastor's gathering with Richard Wormbrand. And he asked questions like, will you choose to suffer? If suffering were offered to you as a gift, would you accept it? Many of the saints around the world suffer daily for their faith. I have met some of them. Praise be to God, Romania is not a place where you are persecuted like they were, but there are still millions of Christians who are in places like that. I think they are living out a life of joy. There is no other way because they are suffering and yet they continue to preach the gospel. They continue to, to go through dangerous trials, torture, and even death to share their faith. That is joy. You cannot do that out of obligation. You do that out of joy. Their love of God, their love for man, and the joy of the mystery revealed to them and to us can now be shared with others, with the world. We should pray for them. We should pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea, the place that is the most dangerous place to be a Christian. Countries in the Middle East and Africa, where it is the most dangerous places to be a Christian. Would you join with me to pray with them? 
to pray for them. Warren Brand had one more quote that really affected me. He said, when the church is being persecuted and you share the gospel, in the back of your mind, there's this one heavy thought. If this person accepts Christ, they will be persecuted. They may lose their family. They may lose all possessions. They may be tortured, and they may be killed. And with that burden, you share Christ. Brothers and sisters, we do not have that burden in America. It is not a thought that has ever crossed my mind. And yet, in Iran, in North Korea, in Eritrea, this is exactly the burden that the church is facing, and they joyfully commit to it. How can they not? There's salvation to be had. There's a Savior to be raised up and glorified. Let us do no less. Let us do no less than joyfully plan our days from morning into night to share the gospel with our families and friends, even if they already believe. Let us share it some more. But also be praying for those opportunities. Be looking intently. And no more so than when we suffer. No more so than when the Lord allows us to go through suffering to mature us and someone comes up and says, how can you be joyful at a time like this? I pray that is all of us and that we be ready with our hearts. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are among us, that you are present when we gather, and that even as we scatter, that you are in us, that you have sealed your inheritance, your people, by the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ. Lord, I thank you that you will never forsake us. You will never leave us. And that you are there when we suffer. You are there when we go through pain and hardships and toil. Lord, I pray that we turn to you in our suffering. We remind ourselves of the glorious mystery that is in us, and that is Christ revealed, the Word of God, the Word made flesh, Him crucified. Lord, let us use our suffering joyfully to preach the gospel to warn everyone, to teach everyone, to proclaim your Son all the time, everywhere, in every opportunity, in prayer, in worship, in discussions, in tough times, and in tears. We pray all these things through the suffering Christ, your Son. And in his name we pray.